Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. And welcome to episode 37 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. We had a request sent in from a listener, Jade. And the request was to cover stories from DC. Jade actually told me it was Mom Sue who recommended our podcast. Excellent. Which I love. So a special shout out to Sue and Jade. Jade, thank you for the request. Yes, definitely. I will be covering the true crime story from DC. And Mama will be covering the paranormal story. Which also means I get the drink. She gets to hydrate us with this yummy beverage. So it really wasn't hard to find what people in D.C. drink. It's called the Ricky. Interesting. It was actually made for the first time in 1883. Okay. And has kind of been the thing to drink in the summer. And when you taste it, you'll know it's very limey. So it's very refreshing. Ooh. It's actually named after Colonel Joe Rickey. So the story goes that in 1883, Colonel Joseph Rickey went to the bar that everyone went to, Shoemakers. Okay. Which was called Shoes for short. (laughs) And he kind of came up with the ingredients, but the first one is actually rye whiskey. Oh. And that's kind of changed the big gin mill and stuff. So, unfortunately, the shoe no longer exists. It is now the Muncie office building occupied by the National Research Council. Boring. And the Finnish embassy. I know. I mean, come on now. And unfortunately, Colonel Joe died by suicide in 1903 at 61. Oh, my gosh. I guess what he drank. I have to put this in there. Well, didn't he drink a Ricky? Well, he drank a Ricky, but not to kill himself. Oh, okay. Well, good. What have we talked about before? We've talked about many things. This is episode 37. Carbolic acid. Are you freaking kidding me? No, that's why I had to put that in there. Holy cow. So it might have been the... I've like, we start this podcast and I've never heard of carbolic acid. And now all of a sudden, I bring it up. Every story you tell. (laughs) What is going on? Okay, well, so... So it's... Gin, I'm assuming. Yes. One and a half shots of gin in each glass. Mm. And not a um, gin fan normally, but we'll, a whole we'll see. lime I put in the, each glass. The lime of, yeah. The juice put the of the lime a, in the gin and shake it all up. So one lime in each glass. And then I topped it with, um, it says club soda, but of course I can never do anything right. So. No, we I, don't stick to the recipe with mom. <laughs> I added, um, well, I thought it tastes more limey, like we need that. If I put some <laughs> lime club soda in there. And so, but I thought, oh, key lime, that would be fun. So I got key lime sparkling soda that oh. I put on top of that. Okay, so you have a little patina twist to it. 
Of course I do. A little mama twist. Okay. So cheers. Cheers, mama. I don't know how that's going to sound. We're drinking out of plastic glasses. <laughs> oh, what do you think? Okay. I'm happy that you did the key lime drink because I think See? Okay. I think that's adding a little bit more flavor besides just lime. It kind of tastes like a key lime pie. There's a little bit of a coconutty taste which you there didn't is even a mention. Taste. I don't know why there's a coconut taste, but there is. Yeah. It's very refreshing. Mom, we're in the fall time now. Don't bring us back to summer. Oh, I love summer. I know. You're holding on with every <laughs> inch. I am not the fall winter gal. I'm oh. the sun summer gal. But yeah, this is what they drink in D.C., I guess, in the hot summers. So it's very refreshing, very light. I'm not a gin drinker, but... Don't even taste the gin. I don't. This is actually not bad. Enjoy. Thank you. We're also toasting on a little more sobering topic real fast. About a month ago, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And with October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we wanted to just take this time to remind women out there how important it is to do a yearly mammogram. I know it's a pain in the boobs. <laughs> boobs. <laughs> it's not fun. But it's totally worth it. If it wasn't for this mammogram, we would never have detected this cancer because I had no symptoms. I had no idea at mm -mm. all. So I cannot stress enough how important it is to get those yearly mammograms. It's an ugly disease. So just do what you guys can to do those yearly mammograms. Right now for mom, it's kind of in the doctor's hands. But we do promise to, we're not going to dwell on it for the episode. We're going to move not. forward with the episode. We're going to stay positive and we will keep you posted, definitely. And move on with the podcast every week. So another cheers, mama. Love you, kid. So before I start my story, I want to place two warnings or kinds of heads up about my story. One, there are some things in this case that may upset some people. The case took place in the 70s, but that does not justify the racial injustices or the poor police work that happened during and after the case. I just want to make a note that in no way, shape or form do we condone or support any injustices on this podcast. When we started the podcast, we really wanted to just connect with other true crime enthusiasts right. and just kind of give you all information about the crimes themselves. Like, you know, stick to the facts, if you may. Just the facts. And the beverages. But at the end of the day, white, black, brown, purple, orange, or green, we are always going to advocate for the victims of the cases we cover. We want to be the voice for the victims. Like we've mentioned before, these are real lives. Right. Which leads me to warning number two. The victims in this case... Yet again, I chose a case that has to deal with... Not children. Children. Oh, best. So warning, it is not for the faint of heart. This week's episode is covering not one, but six unsolved murders. Oh, no. Carol Denise Spinks, Darlenia Denise Johnson, Brenda Faye Crockett, Nonomicia Yates, Brenda Denise Woodward, and Diane Denise Williams are the names of the victims we are advocating for today. 
all young black girls aged between 10 and 18, all had been abducted and brutally murdered over the span of a year and a half. Some had been sexually assaulted. A couple had very little evidence for the police to even look into. Mm. The fact is that these six girls were all taken way too early. They were all the victims of the killer in D.C. dubbed by the media as the Freeway Phantom. Uh. The crimes began in April of 1971. Carol Denise Spinks was 13 years old. She was described as a bit shy and petite. She and her seven siblings lived in Washington, D.C.'s Congress Heights in an apartment. It was a Sunday evening, and she and her siblings were told to stay inside while their mother, Allentine, made a quick visit to a nearby relative's house. Their mom was strict, so all the kids knew to mind her. Mm -hmm. Except when their older sister, who lived down the hall in the same apartment complex, came over and tempted one of them with a soda if they ran an errand for her. Carol was the first to take the bribe. She was asked to walk down to the local 7-Eleven and grab some groceries for her older sister. And while there, she could grab herself a soda as well. The 7-Eleven was about a half mile from the family's apartment complex. And Carol walked at a quick pace so that she could beat her mom home and would not get in trouble. (laughs) However, her mom was heading home and caught her on the road to the 7-Eleven. Mom scolded Carol, told her to finish her errand, but to head straight home for her punishment. She made her grocery store trip, purchasing some TV dinners, bread, and her soda, of course. But little Carol Denise Spinks did not return home. Oh, jeez. In a short time, her mother became worried and called the police and filed a missing persons report that evening. No kidding. Allentine also arranged a neighborhood search. Friends and family gathered to help find Carol. They searched and searched almost a week past and no sign of carol can you imagine how the older sister feels oh my goodness it's just horrible i know there's a lot of guilt felt after a lot of these cases and they shouldn't i mean no it's not their fault that no they, but no. yeah i bet ugh. but it's natural human of reaction course. so almost a week had passed with no sign of carol until a group of kids were playing in a small field Next, Interstate 295 behind St. Elizabeth's Hospital, which was the area's primary mental health facility. A little boy in the group wandered off to play in a grassy embankment when he discovered the lifeless body of a child. Oh. Before long, police were on the scene and the body was identified as Carol. She was in the same clothing she had gone missing in, but her shoes were missing. After an autopsy, they learned that Carol had been sexually assaulted and her cause of death appeared to be strangulation. Poor baby. They also discovered her stomach contents included some citrus fruit. After police talked with the family and learned that she had not consumed that at home, they came to the conclusion that she had been abducted and kept alive, although tortured, until she was found in the interstate embankment. No. The only real evidence the police found were green fibers on her clothing. Possibly from a carpet or a rug of some kind. Now, we have to keep in mind here, it is the 70s. Mm-hmm. And they were very limited in their forensics to investigate this too far. Right. The months stretch into summer and the story disappears in people's minds. July 8th, 1971. And Arlenia Denise Johnson says goodbye to her mother as she plans to walk to work at the local rec center where she works as a counselor. 
She is 16 and was enjoying the summer, spending time with her friends and her boyfriend. Her family lived in the Congress Heights, the same, same neighborhood place. as Carol okay. and her family. And the rec center was just a short walk away. It was a walk that Darlene had made many times before. Tonight was a sleepover event at the center for local kids, and she wouldn't be expected home until the next morning. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Darlene didn't make it to the rec center that night. And the next morning, when she didn't return home as expected, her mother began to worry. A missing persons report was filed, and her case was labeled an abduction, tentatively. She had been seen that afternoon with her boyfriend, and his mother was refusing police to talk to her son, which made it difficult to get details of her last whereabouts and a better timeline. Right. Another witness came forward and claimed to have seen Darlenia with an older black man in an old black vehicle. But as you can guess, this lead led nowhere. nowhere. Right. The investigation sat for a couple of weeks with no leads. A man actually an employee of the D.C. Department of Highway and Traffic had some car troubles and pulled over on Interstate 295 and saw a body lying in the grass on the side of the interstate. Mm. He called the police right away. He learns that he is the second person to make that call. Huh? Others would make the call that day as well. Two days later, one of the original callers was driving by the area again and was curious to see if there was any police tape or anything there at the scene. The and body there was, was still something. There? The body was still there. Are you freaking kidding me? Jeez. So reading this, just like you, I got furious. How can this be? And when I was listening to the podcast, The Murder Squad, I've mentioned them before. It's with investigative journalist Billy Jensen and retired cold case detective Paul Holes. Yes, yes, you have. And I've mentioned he's the one that solved the Golden State Killer case. Anyway, I always love hearing Holes' insight. Like, I especially loved when he did Israel Keys and he just, like, is listening to the investigation and you hear holes just like slam his binder down and he just pushes it away and he's like how can this happen yeah he is such an ass like why are they dealing with him so he kind of has the same feeling about this case but it's interesting to hear you know he's been on police forces for so long no yeah you kind of take that side as well i am in no way shape or form making it right that this little girl's body lay on the side of the road for days that is absolutely wrong and paul holes said the same exact thing thing so paul holes was also super disappointed in this part of the case he didn't want to justify this and i'm not justifying this he mentioned do you know how many calls come in about finding bodies on the side of the road no and police go and find it's just an animal carcass oh are you kidding me but at least police go and check it well he said and this is what the police stated that they did just drive by and kind of peek out the window Again, that is lax policeman work. That is not okay. That is not okay. And another thing to make note of is her little body was found about 15 feet from where Carol was found. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that might just be lax policemanship, but that is just wrong and very disappointing to me. Eventually, the body was recovered and was identified as Darlenia Denise Johnson. The case was similar to Carol's. Like I mentioned, they were found in the same location. Also, like Carol, she was found missing her shoes. 
What? Her autopsy wasn't able to provide many answers because the body was so decomposed at this time. So thank they you very much. Yes. So they couldn't determine any links like citrus fruit or anything like that. They couldn't mm-hmm. even tell if she had been sexually assaulted. Oh dear. They did make note though that it seemed there was evidence of strangulation. Another abduction occurred following the discovery of Darlenia a little over a week later. Brenda Faye Crockett, 10, was sent by her mother to the nearby Safeway grocery store to grab some bread and dog food. I need to stop here because I think I know what you guys are thinking. A mom sent her 10-year-old to the grocery store? We would never do that now. Yeah, it is. It was It 1970s. is the 70s. And during that time, this was super common, especially if the grocery store is like a half a block down the road or even if it was two blocks down the road. My sister and I used to ride our bikes to like McDonald's. That was like the big thing. I mean, by ourselves. Yes. And so, no, we always went to the store. Yeah. It was a different time. People. It was a different, was a different time. time. Brenda was told to grab a friend to go with her, but made the trip on her own. Unfortunately, she didn't even make it to Safeway. When time had passed, her family became worried and started knocking on neighborhood doors and calling anyone who knew or possibly could have seen Brenda. She from the same area? So she's not from the same neighborhood, but around the same area. Okay. Hours go by and the search continues. While the family is out searching with family and friends, the younger sister of Brenda is left at home and she receives a phone call. It's Brenda. Hmm? And she tells her little sister, quote, a white man picked me up and I'm heading home in a cab, unquote. She went on to tell her sister that she was in Virginia and then hung up. About an hour later, another call comes in. This time, Brenda's mom's boyfriend answers. He had returned home as soon as the little sister had come out to tell him that Brenda had called. Mm -hmm. He's a little more forceful on the phone. But he receives basically the same information. A white male picked her up and she would be coming home in a cab. And for sure this is her voice. Yes. He asks Brenda, are you in Virginia? She responds, quote, no. Did my mother see me? What? Unquote. He's confused and asks her, how could your mother see you if you're in Virginia? It's back and forth like this for a while. He's not able to get any answers. He asks to talk to the man. Then hears loud footsteps. And then Brenda says, quote, well, I'll see you and hangs up the call. Did she seem frightened? Did she seem no nervous? Just about eight hours after Brenda's disappearance on the morning of July 28th, a hitchhiker on Route 50 discovered Brenda's little body. Like the other two girls, she had been strangled and the scarf to do so was still around her little neck. Mm. Now she had not been wearing shoes when she went to the grocery store, but her feet were totally clean. It seemed her body had been bathed or cleaned before the killer dumped her. Like Carol, she also had small green fibers on her clothing, making police link the two cases indefinitely. So this is where my thoughts go with this call. And tell me if you agree, but I feel like it's all a determent. Like he knows the window is getting smaller and smaller between his abductions. Mm -hmm. His trail is getting shorter and shorter. So by saying like a white guy, could it be a black guy? 
Exactly. It makes you wonder if he's trying to deter and believing that. Like, is it really or is it like? Right. Right. So we also have to keep in mind on the side of the investigators, a serial killer is not a thing yet. Just down the road there in Quantico, they are just figuring all that out. This is around the time that John Douglas, Mind Hunter, we've mm-hmm. talked about him before. But this is the same time. So at this time in 71, it's a lust killer. There's no, there's rarely any links between killings no at this time. Right. So that's another crazy fact that we, I can't wrap my mind around because I instantly go, oh, serial killer. Why aren't they linking these cases? But at this just time, wasn't a thing. you're letting your kid walk to a grocery store and there is no linked cases. That just is not a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're letting your kid walk to the grocery store too. Had people even had a suggestion there was a exactly. serial killer, they wouldn't have done that. Or somebody that would even think about doing this. That leads you to like, did the girls know the abductor? How did no one see these girls being taken? The first had been held captive for days. The second, we aren't sure because the body was too decomposed. But the third was killed only hours after being abducted. Was the killer rushed to kill this time? But why the phone calls this time? To deter police because he knows the window is getting smaller? The summer ends with no answers in sight. It's now October, and Nino Mishia Yates, Nino for short, was sent by her father to another Safeway, literally less than a block away from their apartment, to get some flour, paper plates, and some sugar. Her stepmom had just given birth and was still in the hospital, and her father was back and forth between the hospital and home with Nino. She makes her purchase, but does not return home. The groceries she had purchased were found scattered on the street, but no Nino. Oh, that just breaks my heart. Meaning she was grabbed. Yes. Off the shoulder of Pennsylvania Avenue in Prince George County in Maryland, less than three hours after she had been abducted, Ninomisia Yates's body was found by a hitchhiker. Her body was still warm. Oh. The killer's window is getting smaller and smaller. Like the others, Nino had been strangled. She was clothed, left with no shoes. The coroner noted she had also been sexually assaulted. Another thing, more green fibers were found. Hmm. A neighbor of Nino's claims to have seen the young girl getting into a blue Volkswagen, but had thought nothing of it at the time because I guess a family friend had a similar looking car. Police look into this, but I guess that was a pretty popular car for the time too. And with no other witnesses in any of the cases and no suspects, the investigation was at a standstill. But all of the deaths were now officially linked. It was announced that the FBI would now be getting involved and police started talking to the media. This is when the killer was officially named the Freeway Phantom by the Daily Mail. It is now November and Brenda Denise Woodward's 18 met up with a classmate after attending an extracurricular night class. They eat at Ben's Chili Bowl for dinner and then take the bus home. The two rode together on the bus, but eventually had to take separate buses to head home. They say goodbye, and that's when the case goes cold. Hours after this farewell, Brenda's body was discovered, again disposed of on another busy road. What's sad about this story is that on her way home from work, Brenda's mom saw the commotion of police taping off the area around Brenda's body, and oh, that's how she learned that it was her daughter. Oh, God. Brenda had been strangled. She had also been stabbed. 
proving that her death was the most brutal of all the girls found. There were defense marks on her hands and her arms. She had put up a good fight. God rest her soul. She was also the biggest, I mean, the oldest. She was the oldest. She was very petite. So, so not the biggest, but she was still the oldest, so she had in her mind... Right, to fight. To fight. Some police believe because of her older age and the fact that she had been stabbed, her murder is from a separate killer. So some people thought that at first. Mm-hmm. But another reason why people believe this is that she was found with her shoes still left on. Oh, complete different thing. But the whole, the whole shoe theory may be a coincidence. So... The killer was transporting these bodies. The shoes could have easily fallen off, like in the back seat of the car. Like you're busy just moving a body around. Shoes Fall could off. have fallen off. And Brenda was in boots. Okay. And they remained on. But her murder is still linked to the freeway phantom because of a piece of evidence they found on the scene. She was dressed with her turtleneck on, but it was inside out. Her pressed velvet coat was draped over her body, and inside the coat pocket was a note. The note said, quote, This is tantamount to insensitivity to people, especially women. I will admit the others when you catch me if you can. Freeway Phantom. Oh, now he's riding on the name. Hmm. You are so like Paul Holes there. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. <laughs> What's even more intriguing is that this note was found to be written by Brenda herself. The page had been torn from one of her own notebooks she was carrying, written in pencil, and the penmanship matched her own in her notebook. They believed that the killer had directed what to write. The whole scenario is just so haunting to me. Imagine this poor young scared girl forced to write this with her killer standing over her. It's just so heartbreaking. So from this note, we see he uses big words. Mm -hmm. So at least a high school education. He obviously has an issue with women. Duh. <laughs> this whole note made Paul Holes and mom <laughs> very mad. <laughs> Paul Holes hated that the killer is now using the name and he's almost taking pride in it. Mm-hmm. It's now becoming taunting. There was silence in the case for about a year. A year? By this time, the FBI had been called off the case to handle a little thing called the Watergate scandal <laughs> and the attention of the public was on that and other things by this time. Yeah. So this is where the fight of racial injustices can be thrown in there. And you can also put up the fight with, there just was no evidence. The green fibers. That was it. That was it. And this is the seventies. So there's really no forensics at the time. No, no. 17 year old Diane Denise Williams would be the final victim of the freeway phantom. She had just started her senior year and was working towards becoming a model. On the evening of September 5th, 1972, she cooked dinner for her family and was heading out to end the evening with her boyfriend. The two spent a few hours together. Then he walked her to a bus stop to see her off on Martin Luther King Avenue, which, by the way, was very close to where the first two abductions took place over a year beforehand. Mm. She boarded the bus but never made it home. The following day, just like Carol and Darlenia, Diane's body was found disposed of off Interstate 295. Police on the scene had strong suspicion this was also done by the freeway phantom. Even though there's a year now separating the killings. Yeah. Except for the fact that her shoes were removed, but they were neatly placed right next to her body. 
Oh, he's goading them. She, like the others, had been strangled, but her autopsy didn't show any evidence of sexual assault. Even though that's what the autopsy showed, semen was discovered on Diane's clothing. Ugh. The police initially suspected it to be that of her boyfriend's, but he was adamant that the two did not engage in anything sexual on the night they were together. But unfortunately, remember, again, this is the 70s. DNA was not tested like it is today, Mm -mm. and the sample was just put into evidence to sit. Over time, there was a reward started by the local newspaper, the Evening Star, hoping to bring in tips. The newspaper offered $5,000, and over time, more in the community added money to the reward in hopes of finding some real answers. The community really came together with these cases. Vietnam vets in the area formed kind of like a little Justice League of sorts, offering surveillance and keeping an eye on the local area. They'd ride around on like motorcycles and guns, and the police like may have to they make an announcement. On motorcycles and guns? Yeah. Yeah. They rode on on their guns. (laughs) Like those stick horses, you know? It was very threatening. (laughs) But the police actually, like, came out and they're like, yeah, we're really thankful for this. But be careful. (laughs) We don't want everybody out here doing this constantly. A bunch of vigilantes riding around on their guns. I mean, that's just terrifying. (laughs) So another thing Paul Holes made mention of that I didn't think about. But think about the time period. Okay. Mm -hmm. Again, serial killers aren't a thing, but think about the men that are being hired on the police force. They wanted big guys. They wanted guys that would frighten offenders. They wanted hulking guys that would fill a doorway. These weren't exactly thinkers. (laughs) They weren't exactly like problem solvers. That comes later with FBI and investigative policemanship. These are just big guys that are breaking up fights riots and stuff right so and protecting people and protecting people when it comes to like paperwork but you had the fbi involved though too it wasn't at a just, time it wasn't just the local police so i can't blame everything on the local i police am not there. blaming everything on the local police yet we'll except get, for not this story is not except over for not checking the body the story is not over just wait but okay so some facts of the case that we can discuss here all of the girls were similar build, very petite. Even the older girls were smaller. So that's kind of the profile is okay. that maybe it necessarily wasn't an age this guy was after, but just a smaller individual. Mm-hmm. Each girl was on their own, making them be an easy target. Mm-hmm. Now, what made him trustworthy for the girls to get into, into the car? Or did he snatch them? Well, I'm still wondering because those groceries were on the side of the road. So, But he didn't make a scene necessarily because there are no witnesses. That's what I don't get. He's snatching these girls in in daylight almost. Yeah. And there are no witnesses. There's groceries rolling around on the sidewalk. There are no witnesses. He's dumping the bodies on on the highway. Busy roads. And they're are no witnesses what how is he even doing that four of the girls were discovered in prince george county in maryland and the other two in washington dc leaving investigators to wonder if the killer did this on purpose because again it's the 70s and these are two different jurisdictions so if he knew that this would trip them up did he know the system was he on law enforcement is that why the girls trusted him 
The very odd thing about this case is the name Denise. I didn't know if you ca- caught on I to did. that. I did, actually. I thought, no, I'm reading into the this. Newspaper articles at the time pointed out that coincidence that two of the girls were also named Brenda. And then four of the seven had the name Denise. So there was a newspaper. I know this. It's very coincidental. So there's a newspaper article I read that claimed that the killer must have had some sort of hatred for those names. And there was some some therapist that said that maybe he worked in the school district. Oh, so he knew the girls? But they're all from different school districts. Was that a popular name at that time? I just have to ask that. (laughs) Yes, it is a popular name for that time as well. But it's just a very odd coincidence, isn't it? Well, it is, unless it was a super popular name at that time around that area. Yeah, it's just weird. So play that scenario out, though. What if the killer knew the girls? They all went to different schools. There was no link between the girls, but maybe he was in the school system somehow knew their middle names. I don't know. Did any of the, we have floating teachers around here. Mm-hmm. Were there anything like floating teachers? Well, I'm sure there were. That could have gone to the Easily. different districts? It could. Seriously. School counselors do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of guessing here. No, that, uh, mom, this is a cold case. These are all cold cases. So, I mean, it's something. There were a few suspects at the time. One man named James Groom was arrested for abducting a 17-year-old waiting at a bus stop. He stopped and asked her for directions, making her miss her bus, so he offered her a ride. He sexually assaulted the girl, but did end up letting her go. Apparently, he told her while in the car that he was the Baltimore-Washington Expressway Phantom (laughs) and also told her that he was a Vietnam vet and was lonely, and no one understood him. Like I said, he was arrested for this incident, so I can only imagine that police looked into him as being the freeway phantom. But I don't know. There was also a small gang in the area called the Green Vega Rapists. Apparently, they drove around in green Chevy Vegas and would abduct and sexually assault young women. Oh, and and we go by this name and... (laughs) Uh, They're pretty scary, though. Apparently, their number was between 500 and 1,000 victims. And we don't have a... We don't know... The police know nothing about this group? No, they do. So, at the time that this was all happening, they were kind of... They were already working at arresting this gang. And a lot of them were put into prison. And the police went and investigated them while they were in prison. One man of the gang was ratting out three men from the gang, and he was believed by authorities for a while. So he came to the police and he said, three of the guys from the gang I was in with them are the Freeway Phantom. They work together. They did this. And the authorities believed him. He would even bring investigators to where the girls had been taken from and to where the girls were found. But unfortunately, politics got involved. Good old politics. And Prince George County State Attorney Arthur A. Marshall, who was running for re-election, leaked to the press that he had someone in prison cooperating and that he would soon have a closed case. The inmate helping with the case heard this on the radio, actually while in the car on the way back from showing police a scene, and he shut down. He stopped talking. He feared for his life. 
And he ended up telling police, though, that it was all a hoax. This sounds, I, I, I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> but this sounds more like a one man thing. It doesn't sound like a group thing. So keep in mind, there's no Google at this time. So he would really have to have gone what he had heard on the radio or newspapers. And I think investigators were really hoping for this to be the answer. Sure. But I think inve- more recent investigators have looked at it and said he's really not giving any new information. He really didn't give any new information. Right. So that's why he's kind of been written off as a sp- suspect. And the fact that he shut down. I, I don't know. They really couldn't get any much more out of him. Mm-hmm. There were so many other tips that came in over the years. Only one more worth mentioning, I think. A computer technician. Robert Askins, who worked at St. Elizabeth's Hospital, who used who used the word tantamount a lot. Who uses that? Interestingly enough, he had been a patient there at the hospital. At the mental hospital? For quite some time. Remember, it was a psychiatric facility. Yes. He was placed there actually because in 1938, he had poisoned a sex worker with potassium cyanide, apparently because he was acting in revenge for getting a sexually transmitted disease from another sex worker. But he wasn't found mentally stable to stand trial, so he was sent to the hospital. He was later convicted, then freed, then worked at the facility. (laughs) Okay. Again in 1977, so after all the cases we're talking about, he abducted a woman at gunpoint, kidnapped her, sexually assaulted her, beat her, then freed her. Police zeroed in on him and then proceeded to interview him about the freeway phantom murders. I mean, he committed similar crimes in the general area as the killer. It's worth questioning. They got a warrant, searched his house and his vehicle, found some odd things like a collection of women's scarves, even though he did not live with any women. In his car, they found buttons and a gold earring. But unfortunately, no carpet or anything to match the green fibers. Dang it. No real evidence to convict on the Phantom's killings. Police kept in touch with him until his death in 2010. Most believe he is the most popular suspect for the case. But Askins claimed innocence until the day he died. The fact of the matter is, though, that these cases all happened in the 70s. I know I keep reiterating that, but... You just have to remember the science of looking into forensic evidence and DNA has come a long way since then. And everything was just taken and eventually thrown into a storage facility with evidence from other cases, all just gathering dust over the years somewhere in a storage locker until 2001 when the case was reopened by James Tranum. Taking over the case, he found that many records and case files have been lost. Yeah. Dang it. And he worked tirelessly to piece together what he could. I mean, think about it. There was no computer system organizing anything. Jeez. Imagine those like old file boxes filled with paperwork and evidence. Cardboard. Everything. (laughs) Yes. All of this took place in two jurisdictions too. Oh my gosh. That is a lot of time and a lot of money that has to go through these old cases. So remember that semen that was found on Diane Williams' clothing? Right. Yes. Okay. Ugh. So it's pretty upsetting. But Tranum took it to Maryland State Police for testing in 2002, basically 30 years after the murder. Uh-huh. But they held the evidence in backlog and couldn't test it. So we took it to the FBI forensic database. And they, too, put it on backlog. So we resubmitted it to Maryland State Police. And then the custody of the evidence became a matter of debate. 
So basically, no lab work was done on the federal or the state, so they cannot confirm or deny that they've tested the evidence. Oh my gosh, this poor guy has got to be tearing his hair out. So last year, when Paul Holes and Billy Jensen did their podcast, they reached out to Trainum for comment on this. He responded back telling them, there was no more DNA to test. All of it had been thrown out or improperly stored. Yep, 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 yep. So yep. Paul Holes and Billy Jensen reach out for comment to the Metro PD to get the current status of the cases. I am getting butterflies just getting to this point in the story. And they respond with, quote, These cases have been purged by our department years ago and are no longer active investigations, unquote. What do you mean purge? That means like making it go away? <gasps> Holy cow. Like I just get so heated. They're cold cases. I mean, obviously Mom, they're cold there cases. There is no statute of limitations on murder. <laughs> How there is no purge? statute of limitations on murder. How can you purge? I am just... A serial killer. Holy cow. Quote, I, re I recommend reaching out to Prince George County PD as they were also investigating a portion of these homicides. So pushing the buck. It's like, it's not only on us. It's on... We've thrown all our shit away, so maybe they have something, basically. No, we purged. <laughs> Meaning we've gotten rid of everything. This is unacceptable. So holes and other investigators as well as myself know there are answers out there these children's lives matter taken they matter and they're gone so i'm gonna piggyback off of the murder squad here and ask you listeners the same thing they asked their listeners last year we want to hold these police officers accountable on the sexual assaults and terrible murders of these little girls they are worth the investigation period so we ask those in the D.C. area or those who lived in the D.C. area in the 1970s to think back and think hard. Do you know anything? The murder squad mentioned a letter writing campaign to get the D.C. Metro Police to reopen the case. Their address is 300 Indiana Avenue, Northwest, room 5059, Washington, D.C. 20001, or email them at mpd at dc.gov. So this is a group that's trying to get these cases back up. We are a group trying to get these cases back up. I'm telling you, I'm going to solve at least <laughs> one cold case in my lifetime, or at least help solve. Investigators now do have a profile of the killer, believing he lived in or near the neighborhood of Congress Heights, where the first two girls were taken from because they were both abducted and then left within a couple mile radius. Right. A couple miles radius. They believe he knew the neighborhood. According to Mind Hunters John Douglas, most serial killers target those in their own demographic, so they believe the killer to be black. Holes made note of this too, stating that he believes the killer to be black too because of where the girls were abducted, he went unnoticed, and the demographic of the population in the area was majority black. They believe him to be a charming young man who struggled to maintain a healthy relationship. He was employed, had some sort of resentment towards women, obviously. They believe he was possibly a Vietnam vet or someone suffering PTSD or has a grudge towards law enforcement. And as of now, the murders of Carol 
Spinks, Darlenia Johnson, Brenda Crockett, Ninomishia Yates, Brenda Woodward, and Diane Williams are unsolved. But they don't have to stay that way. Okay, thank you. I, I'm, I need to throw this out there, though. What? <laughs> A serial killer doesn't just stop. Oh, he's either in jail. Mm-hmm. He's been killed. Mm-hmm. Or he moved on. Or he's killing someplace else. Yeah. Because a serial killer does not just start and stop. No. No, no, no. We, we, so we've learned that. Yeah, definitely. Where is this dude? And exactly. But we have no evidence to test. So we don't know if he's in CODIS. And is he had, did he move on in the 70s and is killing someplace else? Right. Right. Move on from this demographic and move on to another. Did he move on to older women now? Did he? Because he is older to, now. Exactly. Or move on to little boys now to change it up. Did he leave their shoes on and do something else in a different area? This is obviously not a dumb person either. Mm -mm. I mean, he's, you know, he's educated. Very much so. Blows you away, though. It's very sad. It's awesome where science has come, but it's very sad. And again, guys, there is no statute of limitations on murder. I cannot say that enough. This should not have been purged. It's a horrible word to be using for people's lives. You know. Just, boom, we've gotten rid of them. That's my answer <sighs> to that. <sighs> All right. I could sit here and chat about this forever. So I'm just going to sit back and take a drink and uh Well, I'm going to take a drink too a because I'm like totally pissed right now. I know. <laughs> Told you it's going to get a couple people upset. Sorry, y'all. All right. I am definitely going to lighten things up here please mother please so i was very surprised i'm gonna have to say this up front i thought dc with all the great monuments and historical things that are there which you and i visited mm -hmm. at one time yeah i lived um, there for two and a half years not with me but i did go visit her when yes, she was living yes, there yes but um so i thought hauntings and paranormal activity should be rampant. Yeah, like all the older estates and everything is outside DC and you were kind of I was centered in centered DC. Centered in DC. Yes. Um so I was really surprised to not find very much paranormal. I'm just going to say that up front. <laughs> because I didn't find much, I'm going to give you two. Okay? Oh, okay. Ooh. So I'm going to tell you two stories from D.C. because, well, sometimes two is just better than one. In this case, definitely. <laughs> Mother. The first is the Smithsonian. Love. I know you do. That's why I picked this one. I am such a history nerd. I can't help but think that this old building, which houses a lot of artifacts from around the world. And is different in, ones yearly. Is indeed haunted. But from my research... It does not exhibit much paranormal activity as I thought it would. The Smithsonian came to be because a pseudo-aristocratic British scientist, James Smithson. Do you know how this... Actually, I don't think so. Okay. Left all his money to the U.S. to create a center of learning, the only request being that the center be named after him. No one seems to know why Smithson wanted the U.S. to create the center. The man had never stepped foot in the country. Oh, that's odd. 
He was overseas, never <laughs> was Weird. even here. Of course, there were foreign laws and procedures to follow before the money could be shipped after he died. Yes, I did say shipped because you couldn't wire money in those days. So no. over I mean, five the hundred thousand dollars <laughs> worth of gold oh. was put on a ship in the hands of an American lawyer. The ship sailed during... In his hands? Man, that's a heavy... Honey, do you know what that means? I know. I'm just, that was a really bad joke. <laughs> the ship <laughs> sailed... I'm trying to lighten things up. That was just bad. <laughs> You're trying to top my riding the guns. <laughs> but you can't because you <laughs> slipped on that one. <laughs> Notice we try to one-up each other here on the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> And I am losing poorly. <laughs> the ship sailed during a very stormy season, so there was a very good possibility that the ship heavy with gold would sink. It did not. It wasn't in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> oh, thankfully. <laughs> but the money sat in a safe waiting for Congress to pass an act for its use. Yeah, da, 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 da. This took a few years. Of course it did. But in 1846, they finally passed the act to establish the Smithsonian Institution. Insta what? Institution. In 1903, Alexander Graham Bell of telephone invention fame decided that the Smithsonian should be... Uh, no. <laughs> decided yes. that Smithson should be exhumed and be brought to the U.S. What the hell is <laughs> happening right now? So the body was shipped to America from Italy. Well, now and he's going to set foot in the United States. And then sat in a conference room for over a year before it was decided what to do with the body. Again, Congress cannot make decisions quickly. I'm telling you, the story gets better and better. That's why I had to go with it. So he's in a coffin, though, right? No, he's in a coffin, and that's going to come up, too. The Smithsonian board finally came up with a game plan. They would convert a janitor's closet. What and is make, happening? And, then, and make that Smithson's final resting place. In a janitor's closet. And that's where he is today. So many people had reported seeing the ghost of Mr. Smithson. So the curator of the Smithsonian in 1973 around the same time that yours is, which is kind of weird. But anyway, thought it may be a good idea to weird. open the casket. Oh, why? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not sure what that was even supposed to accomplish. <laughs> did, he, did he want to make sure Smithson was in there? I mean, he wanted to make sure that his body was in there and not walking around. <laughs> so weird. By the way, the story gets worse. No. <laughs> oh, no. In attempting to open the case. <laughs> I just know what's coming. No. We don't know what's coming. <laughs> I do that. <know. laughs> In attempting to open the casket, the workman discovered it was made of metal and soldered shut. Oh. The curator ordered them to use their flashlights to force it open. What? Their flashlights? I looked it up. I don't know. <laughs> what is this? I'm Googling. I'm Googling this. Go flashlights. What? 
It's a soldered shut. What is a flashlight going to do? So I picture all these workmen <laughs> prying this lid open and hammering it until it opens. What the heck? Again, why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think this guy had all his cookies. That's for sure. He had a few cookies loose for he sure. Had all, oh, no. I don't think he had any cookies even loose. <laughs> Guys, anyway. soldered shut. Get your flashlights out. <laughs> They'll get it. They do get the lid of the casket open oh, with their flashlights. Wow. We'll but in flashlight doing is so, this. somehow the casket catches on fire. What? <laughs> with a 150-year-old skeleton inside. Well, how did it catch on fire? The flashlight. <laughs> the brilliant curator freaks out. He doesn't want the silk ruined with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh no. What he happened? doesn't want the fire. Okay. So he freaks out and he doesn't want the silk lining ruined with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> Extinguishers. What to do? Are you picturing this right? Oh, I'm picturing this. Workmen have opened a sealed relic. <laughs> Using flashlights. The curator has no authority to even do this. <laughs> what the casket this? is on fire. <laughs> but the extinguisher would ruin the silk. Yeah, what is happening? Okay, so the next best thing. <laughs> the curator... <laughs> the curator orders the workmen to fill their, their mouths with water. <laughs> And run back and forth with the water to put out the fire. So, so poor Mr. Smithson, he gets dug up in Italy, comes to America just to have his casket broke into, and then he gets spit on. Thanks for the Smithsonian Institution, sir. No wonder he haunts the museum. Oh, my God. He wanted an education center, remember? Oh. That's how it all started? Yeah. He backed up that claim. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No way. <sighs> Is that true? But perhaps his soul has finally found some peace because the last time his spirit was seen was in the 80s during a seance at the Smithsonian. They did a seance at the Smithsonian? I guess that's, Yeah. Yeah, they have seances and they have like oh, like ghost tours and stuff. And they have paranormal too? investigations and stuff there. Oh, other apparitions that have been reported are the ghost of Spencer Bird, the museum's first curator, who had to be smarter than the one we just discussed. <laughs> just saying, his ghost was often seen by a night watchman who actually attempted to talk to the spirit, but when he stepped close, the spirit would vanish. Another spirit often seen is that of paleontologist Fielding Meek, oh, who cool. actually lived in the mu- in the Smithsonian with his cat. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. I don't know why I'm, that's I'm funny. Just throwing all kinds of weird things <laughs> at you. <laughs> they occupied the two rooms under a staircase. But because of a fire in 1876, another he was, fire. He was moved to a tower room in which he died. Oh. 
So his ghost has been seen in both of these areas. Other reported sightings are those of explorer Emile Bessels and Secretary Joseph Henry, both having devoted their lives to the museum. Okay, now we're going to go to our second location. Oh, that was a good one, Mom. At 3051 M Street Northwest, the old stone house. This pre-revolutionary colonial building is the oldest standing building in Washington, D.C. and stands on its original foundation. So cool. Have you seen it? I, I think I have. Yeah. It's, it's pretty obvious because yes. there's buildings around it and it's this yes. old colonial old. building yes. still sitting yes, there. Yes, 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 yes. The house was built in 1765 and since has been used as a home and a place of business. In fact, a car dealership <laughs> until 1953. Oh, my God. I also read somewhere a brothel, but I'm not sure about that. According to reports from residents as well as visitors to the house, there are a number of spirits that reside in the home. Are you ready? Please tell me there's a car salesman there. A woman in a brown dress standing near the fireplace. A brown dress? Not mm. a white dress? You Girls be... mixing it up girl is very mixing it up and i'm happy you caught that because i caught it right away <laughs> yeah a heavy set woman has been seen in the kitchen and on the staircase staircase oh boy there's that staircase a man with long blonde hair and wearing a blue jacket a woman in a rocking chair on the third floor a little boy who runs down the hall on the third floor. Hmm. A man dressed in colonial era clothes seen on the second floor and the master bedroom. Ooh. A little girl with curly hair running up and down the staircase. Staircase. An African-American boy on the third floor. A man in short pants and long stockings in the kitchen. I don't know if he's wearing a sh shirt. <laughs> I was actually, I went there too. <laughs> But he's wearing <laughs> short pants and long stockings. Oh, my God. What? You have corrupted my brain. I'm sitting here listening and I'm like, where are his pants? Where is his shirt? <laughs> but he has been reported in many different things that I've read. Shirtless? It's so weird. No, a man in short pants and long stockings in the kitchen. <laughs> There's nothing about his shirt. <laughs> Maybe he's the same man with long blonde hair and wearing a blue jacket. Oh, like the top of him is somewhere and the bottom <laughs> of him is somewhere else. The bottom of him is in the kitchen. The top of him is up on the stairs, which makes no sense because he's eating in the kitchen. And then there's George. <gasps> there's a George? Yeah, but we don't like this, George. Oh, no, We George. don't even know that somebody way back when named the spirit George, and we don't know why. So the spirit has been said to be very violent. He has choked and pushed people. Oh, George. And his presence often presented in an extremely cold spot. This has filled people with dread and a feeling of wanting to run. <gasps> George, that is not nice. Not our George. No. He's so, posing as our George. <laughs> so Will Vitka, who is a digital writer and editor in D.C., decided to look into these hauntings. He had heard that George does not like women. And along with the choking and pushing, women who enter the third floor bedroom are especially filled with dread. 
Mm. And again, I don't know why the spirit's named George. Vitka and his wife stayed in the house overnight. He wrote that the old stone house has a foreboding presence, something ominous, like we shouldn't be there and we certainly weren't welcome. If you click on the WTOP.com slash Halloween News 2018 site that's listed in our sources, <laughs> you can listen to the recording Vitka did that night. In the first one, there's definitely a man's voice on the recording that says, no. Ooh. Oh, EVPs just creep me out. It was only Vitka and his wife in the house. There was no other man. In the man. entire house? I thought I heard other voices on the second recording, but maybe I just wanted to hear them. I don't know. <laughs> but I swear I thought other, I heard other voices. Listen you and did. let us know if you too can hear voices beside Vitka and his wife. Ooh, now, yes. I have to say it's long because it's, they recorded the whole night almost. And you hear a lot of cars and, you know, just yeah, normal sure. stuff. But once in a while, you'll catch this just odd, these odd voices oh my gosh so along with the ricky which is gone by the way that's how much i enjoyed that oh that's all i have i don't like that george Mm -mm, we're not going to claim him i don't like that george either but i did like the smithsonian (laughs) (laughs) i wonder if that curator's name was george wouldn't that be perfect oh my gosh that's a george i might claim climb climb (laughs) you're gonna climb him (laughs) oh god mother claim shouldn't claim you as my mother okay so like mom said we will be posting all of our sources and you will see them in the description of this episode but like i said last week we have a website it's a work in progress still so it is www.killerhangover.wordpress.com you can listen to episodes there but you can also see photos from each episode You can also find us on social media where we post these photos as well. We have a nice community there with people commenting and sending us recipes for drinks and requesting places like Jade did. Again, Jade, this was so much fun. Thank you. Definitely. So message us there on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Hangover Podcast. Or you can just email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. And we do our best to answer everything right away almost. We do. We really do. And like I said, if you guys are sending us your requests, we are adding them to the list. We are looking into them. We are researching them. And we are loving everything you guys are sending us. We've gotten a few cold cases from some of you that just want to keep your friends cold cases alive or family cold cases alive. And we are all for that. Like all I said at the that, beginning definitely. of the episode, we are going to advocate for all victims. So send them, send them, send them. We would love to share your stories. Yep. Bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out. Okay. I'm done drinking. <laughs> I am officially embarrassed. This was a good podcast. Thank you for ending it with a good laugh. laugh. Thank you. <laughs> Next week, you have the true crime. I do. So you're the one that gets to make people sad or pissed off like and I I'm did. I'm going to my birth state. We're doing Utah. Utah. <laughs> Let's do it. Another good one, mom. Yes. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. <laughs> Not that I was too, expecting. That was two empty glasses. <laughs>
Love you, kid. <laughs>